In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about overcoming shame and negative self-talk in order to be present and not only live, but also parent alongside a cancer diagnosis. My guest today is Ashley Lacane. Ashley is a stay-at-home mom and quilt designer. She can most often be found at home in her garden with her daughter tagging along behind her, in her sewing room quilting, or catching up with friends. She never turns down a cup of coffee and is always game for an adventure. Diagnosed at 33 with de novo stage 4 triple positive metastatic breast cancer, Ashley says cancer is part of her life, but it does not define her. In fact, it's been used as a teacher and a guide. Welcome to The Burn, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me, April. Absolutely. I'm excited for your story. So you're reading an essay you wrote called The Hate I Gave. This comes from our 2023 issue, Five Years and Counting. That was an issue in which we told the stories of people who had experienced their diagnosis at least five years earlier. And after you read, you and I will chat. And those of you listening, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Ashley, I'll let you take it away. Okay. The hate I gave. It took my cells mutating into a 10 centimeter creature with a host of babies set up in a distant organ to realize that I hated myself. Life looked decent from an outsider's view. New cars, vacations, house on acreage, husband and child. If you peeked through our windows, you'd have seen a busy wife, mother and daughter juggling all the bits. Five years ago, it crumbled. I no longer had the ability to juggle. The bits crashed into broken shards around me as I began to free fall. As I fell through the void, I heard, we can't lose you. What will we do? And not you, you keep us together. And mama. As I fell seemingly suspended in darkness, though I felt the wind rushing against my exposed scalp, I was alone for the first time. All around me were my thoughts and emotions holding out for a medical miracle. What I found in that void rocked me to my core. You piece of shit. Why do you dare think you, of all people, deserve grace? You're a loser. The first time I heard the voice surround me, I froze. How did this entity know me so well? Hadn't those thoughts been private, unspoken? You're a loser, a waste of resources, go die. My stomach dropped to the floor and I began to shake. The bodiless voice was mine. I stopped writing. I couldn't go forward putting ink to this matter. It hurt so deeply. What if my daughter read this one day? What if my daughter, my daughter, mama, 
She gently caressed my shiny scalp. Mama, I love you. Her eyes bored straight to my soul. Sweet girly, you are precious. You are worth it. I adore you. I hate you. The voice shot through the moment of security. With me having nearly found my foothold in self-worth though through the lens of my daughter. Shut up, shut up, shut up, I begged. Let me be, let me survive, let me live. If only it was that easy to will away years of self-inflicted trauma. If only there was a simple command to part the clouds and let love in. The voice never stopped. I apparently could not shut up. So I began to count. Every time I heard the hate I gave, I tallied. You're worthless, check. You're a coward, check. You're irredeemable, check. You won't be missed, check. The list became too long. How much more venom had to be spewed by my own voice before someone, anyone, would administer the antidote? How had I never noticed how loaded my inner dialogue was? How did I hate myself so much? I began to take stock of my life to this point. So many failed relationships, friendships in particular. A lifetime of chasing people who had no care for me. Heartache after heartbreak, one star review after another, though I cut myself open and sacrificed myself for them. I began to realize that I was always the first to ask, how can I help? How can I change? What do you need? And I never heard it back. I gathered my brokenness and retreated. This was all too much. How do you begin to deconstruct and rebuild a life that is such a pitiful mess? Every call went to voicemail, texts went unanswered. I kept my head down and darted into opposite aisles to evade people. It was noticed. I no longer was filling any of the roles aside from mama and sometimes wife. My husband gave space for this retreat, understanding something holy was taking place. From others, nasty comments were flying around within earshot. Unkind messages laced with anger and guilt-inducing comments were sent. They did not succeed in pulling me back from the quiet. The crowds flustered and filibustered until their mouths ran dry and their tongues tired. It never occurred to them to try to save me. Then they slowly walked away. There was nothing more for them. You cannot squeeze blood from a stone. When the dust settled, I peeked out of my hideout. The silence of the space where they once stood was deafening. In that moment, I understood that this could go two ways. Fall into the loss and absence of noise, or fall into the beauty of silence. Mama, I love you. Darling girl, she had no idea that she was my guide, leading me out into the world once more. I grabbed her beautiful chubby hand, kissed that rosy cheek, and threw my head back to the heavens and laughed. Mama adores you. There's so much time and space for us now, dear one. Let's play. She squealed with delight and took off running, glancing back to make sure I was for sure going to follow and catch her. Her eyes lit up when she saw me rise to give chase, and a small voice whispered to the emptiness around me, you are loved. Just like full body goosebumps. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much for your story. You're welcome. All right. So let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will chat. Hi, friends. 
There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone you will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. I always wanted to attend a wildfire workshop, but I hesitated because I'm not a creative writer and I felt like my work had to be really good to participate. And I felt like I had so much to unpack about cancer and I didn't know where to start. But I jumped in and I'm so glad I did. April creates a space that is so welcoming and joyful to play in, even as we're sometimes unearthing really heavy things. And the survivors present share generously of their responses to the prompts. I learned so much about myself from listening to others' writings. Everyone is so supportive. So my advice is if you're thinking about it, jump in too. You don't have to build a masterpiece and you never have to share if you don't want to. I hope I'll see you at the next one. Thank you so much for the love stuff. All right. Welcome back, Ashley. Thank you again for your powerful, vulnerable storytelling today. I love your story. Thank you. So let's talk about it. So when I sent out the call for submissions for the five years and counting issue, one of the writing prompts, I guess, that I put out was to tell a story about lessons learned from, you know, being diagnosed with cancer. I don't know if that's exactly the prompt that you responded to, but what I want to ask you is how and why this story now? What what mm-hmm. was it about this story that needed to come bursting out of you? Um. Well, first off, when I saw the five-year mark in their writing prompt, it all of a sudden hit me that I survived. I um, hit that mark where people said I wouldn't, and I was still living, and I was parenting, and I was doing everything that I'd wanted to do when I was first diagnosed and never knew if I'd be able to. And then when I sat back and I reflected on that, on those last five years, um, and about the change that had come in those five years, the biggest thing that I that stuck out to me was how much um, I had changed internally, how my internal dialogue had changed. And the big big thing was that I, like I said in the essay, I did not realize how much I did not like myself. I did not realize um, how my life was becoming so incredibly clouded with other people's um, agendas and what I could do for them. And I didn't realize how much it was taking away from my ability to parent. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that was the big draw for me is first of all, the five mark, five year mark. And then um, it just all of a sudden hit me how much my life had changed for the better and how much it had quieted in the last five years. Yes. 
I love these stories of, of transformation. And I remember when we talked about this story before, you mentioned to me, um, and if this is too personal, you know, we don't have to go there, but you know, sometimes our stories are hard to tell because of the people that might be affected by the telling of them. Yes. And and you shared with me that that your family was a little surprised, I guess, you know, that you would be willing to share such a vulnerable story. Can you talk a little bit about, oh, I guess, your perseverance in, in needing to tell this story? So something that's come out of all of this is that um, I guess I don't really have much of a filter anymore. Like, I don't, I don't want to hurt people. And I, and I, I mean, I come from much more of a place of love, but also if there's a truth that needs to be spoken, I'm kind of the first to unfortunately put myself in the line sometimes with that. And when I was first diagnosed, I searched the internet. I searched the communities. I searched everywhere I could for people that I could relate to. And there was so much, as I learned to name it, so much toxic positivity. There were so many mm -hmm. grief tourists involved and um, I never heard those dark thoughts as well, but not but surrounded with hope. Do you know what I mean? And I always said, when I make it, I will be the voice. Yes. And I never thought I made it. Right. I never thought I'm far enough. I never thought I'm doing well enough. I never thought any of that. I just thought I have so much further to go. And then mm -hmm. I realized you need to start talking. You need to start putting words to the hurt that was in you and how and how you overcome that and that there is hope after loss because one thing I kept hearing from other people is how many people walked away from them and how incredibly hurt and alone they were and I thought I need to put voice to this that there can be that can be a positive for us because it can give you the time and the space to recenter your life so it's been tough on my family a little bit for them to hear it because no one wants like my mom for example she doesn't want to hear that I felt that way about myself like I would I would be broken if I heard that coming from my daughter um but when I explained to her mom this is what I needed to hear so that I those thoughts could stop then she's like okay I get it mm, I love this idea of kind of becoming the resource that you needed, you know, in that moment. Exactly. Can you talk a little bit more about um, the grief tourism and toxic positivity that pervades in cancer, but I think particularly around a stage four diagnosis? Yes. I, um, number one, I realized that there were people who glommed onto me to watch me die. And that was, um, that was incredibly triggering for me. I could not believe how many people wanted to be at my bedside to hold my hand and watch me pass. That destroyed me because I'm like, this is not what my daughter needs. So as soon as I realized that that's what people are coming around, I put a rule in it. Show up with a smile or don't show up at all. Don't cry around me. If you can't do it today, that's okay. Try again another day. That weeded people out immediately. Um, people didn't like having to check themselves at the door and doing, do some um, reflection before coming into my home. They didn't like that, so that weeded people right away. Um, and then there were some that they would never, it wasn't ever like, hey, you're having a really rough day, let me sit with you. It was like, look at the bright side of things. Look at this, look at that. And I'm like, no, I'm having a really horrible day right now. Like, just hold me, just be with me. 
just give me that space to just have a crappy moment. And because of that, unfortunately, um, I found myself not taking pain meds because I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, I found myself not managing my side effects very well at all when I was in really heavy duty chemo because, well, you're fine, actually. That's how you're going to get through it. And um, I had a wise lady sit down with me one day and she looked me in the eyes and she said, you're never going to get a trophy for not taking your pain meds. And I, she said, how are you going to be the best you can be for your daughter if you're not managing your side effects? And so I changed. I was like, okay, I have to stop listening to that and start doing what I need to do. But I find that people, they like to focus on the pit. They like to focus on where you're at, why you're there, what's going on in the pit. They never like to throw down a ladder and put together a plan and help you out. And I've noticed that across the board where if there's tragedy, oh my goodness, people come like flies to it. They just can't help themselves. It's we love that tragedy so that we can feel good about where we're at in our lives and be like, at least it's not me. Mm -hmm. But once again, that's where self-reflection comes in. Are you helping or are you hindering? Mm -hmm. Right? Are you focusing on the pit or are you helping that person out of the pit? Absolutely. Well, you're making me think of something I've had to start doing with my own daughter. She's older than yours. Mine is about to be 15. And I realized, you know, when she's having hard days, it triggers me in wanting to fix it. And I think that that's, you know, a big thing that goes around in our society. But as you're describing and you described in your story, that fixing feels a lot more like I'm uncomfortable with you being uncomfortable. So let me just like mask it, bury it, you know, all of that slash, you know, watch the the train wreck of what you're going through. But with my own child, you know, this, this wanting to fix it meant I couldn't hear her. And so we've gotten to this place now where, you know, she comes home from school and I can tell she needs to talk. I'll just take a second and say, are you venting or are we brainstorming? And like 99% of the time, she's just venting, right? And then somehow just having her let me know that that's what we're doing, then I can, I can just hold that space for her. And I can just hear that. But I feel like we need to do that more for each other, right? Because what you're describing, you know, on your hard day, you didn't need someone coming in and being like, yeah, but silver lining this and rosy side that it doesn't, it doesn't help. It just makes you feel alone. So yeah. And the, and it also brings up a lot of like blame and shame, yep. right? Because you're not doing it good enough or you're there in this spot because of what you did or, you know, like it, it brings up so much negativity for that person, even though you're being positive and, uh, and, you know, trying to make the person look at the brighter side of things that I internalize that as, oh my goodness, I'm so horrible. I can't do this on my own. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then the blame comes up and then all the negative thoughts come up and it just is this whole cycle that nobody even realizes that they're, um, that they're putting their words into, right. That they just don't understand that they're part of it. Yeah. So like my mom, for example, once again, my mom, um, she had this uh, one particular person that would keep coming to her for advice or this or that. She said, I just don't know what to say. And we had the conversation about, well, sometimes you don't need to say anything. Sometimes you need to even just ask them, do you want me to check in with you? 
I'm thinking of you all the time, but do you, what do you want? What do you need in this moment? Instead of being, trying to figure out and do it yourself, check in with that person. It's huge. Just talk to me. Talk to me like a human. Take away the diagnosis and just talk to me like you would someone you loved, right? Yeah. And just being able to say, I don't know what the right thing to say right now is. Like, how can I, what would you like to hear? What can I say to you? And isn't it interesting that it, it still works. Those words still work. Even if someone has told you like, this is what I need to hear in this moment, it somehow doesn't make it less powerful or less authentic. Exactly. When they give you the script, it's, and it's okay to say, I need that script from you right now. But that script, when you give it to them, they realize those are the words they've been searching for all along anyway. And they truly believe it. And so it's not like they're like just regurgitating it back to you. They truly believe what they're telling you. And you already had it in you. And now it's two voices coming together saying the exact same thing. And you're stronger in numbers. Exactly. So I have one last question for you or one last little topic for us. And this kind of ties the whole thing back into writing our personal stories. So when we write these stories, you know, we are the heroes. We're the main characters, of course, but we need guides along the way. And and in your story, your daughter is your guide. And it was her small hand, you know, that led you, that led you out can you talk a little bit more about kind of realizing that she was your guide and she had this this power in her to be, to, I, I want to like use all the metaphors, but you know, <laughs> let's just focus on the guide. She was your guide. <laughs> um, so when I was first diagnosed, I, I remember we were coming home. Oh, this is one of my worst memories. We were coming home from my very first appointment with my oncologist and no, from my chemo teach, sorry. And I got the call from my oncologist in the car saying something's shown up on the scan in your liver. And my husband pulled over because I was starting to like lose my mind in the vehicle and my daughter was in the car. And I got out on the side of the road and right by these mailboxes, I drive by it all the time. And I talked to that, that girl that I was there. I talked to her every time I pass and tell her, okay, you're going to be okay. And just hold on. And I was on my knees on the side of the road. And the first things out of my mouth were my baby, my baby, my baby. That's the very first thing out of my mouth. And um, I got back in the car and she was so quiet. She just did little one in the back seat. And I pulled it together because my baby, my baby. And through all of chemo, through every, through surgery, through everything, I was always in the back of my head, my baby, my baby. And I realized that I thought one day, if I take that away, if I take that away, and let's say she wasn't here, where would I be? And I knew that I didn't love myself enough to push through and to do everything I could to stay alive for her. And then I realized without her, without her being divinely put in my life, it would be a very different story we'd be talking about right now. And so that's when I knew that she literally grabbed my hand and led me out of that. And even on dark days, she comes in and she will cuddle up beside me and it just, all oh my heart. She says, I love you, my perfect mama. And I'm like, honey, I'm not perfect. To me, you are. And she's not quite seven. And she says these things and I'm like, 
you truly are my reason. And I realized that from that very first day when my first words out of my mouth, when I found out where my baby, my baby, and then it stayed that way from the beginning to now. Wow. I love that story. And it feels like you're, you're both the reason for each other. And I really very much so. Yes. Yeah. I just love that. Very, very I, much so. And she's, and the thing is too, with her and me, my heart breaks for, for the folks who can't have children, not by choice, but by circumstance. And it's not the same. I have her, but when people say, well, at least you have her, I'm like, yes, but the choice for having more, even if I never wanted more was taken from me. That was not my choice. That was Uh taken. That was stolen from me. And I have this, um, but, but having her, she has brought me out of my shell. So I am not the pack mom. I'm not any of that, but she is such the type of girl that mom, I want you to meet my friend's mom, right? Mom, I want to go and do this. Mom, why are we just staying home right now? Yes, I like home, but I want to go do this. And she, she makes me um, live. And I have to think of what is she going to remember of me, even if I pass away at 85, what's she going to remember of her childhood? And she has brought me out of um, my shell and my diagnosis where it has become a part of the tapestry, but it has never taken over the entire thing because she just keeps leading me through that massive work of art that is my life. Ah. Uh. Again, the, with the goosebumps, Ashley, you're just bringing it all today. I love that. And I love, I, I really love that you have found in her this ability to be present, you know, and to see the, the day to day when maybe, you know, the picture, the big picture gets to be too much, you guys can come back to this moment, this little, you know, walking out your front door together, whatever it is, this conversation together. And it can just be such a rooting, um, a rooting thing for you guys. I love that. It very much is. And, you know, this place of silence that we came to, not out of choice, but out of survival, truly opened up the door to be able to experience that deeper bond but then also the people that come into it they also have that deeper bond as well because they respect that place of silence and they can sit with you in silence because they're comfortable with themselves Mm -hmm. as well and my daughter Vivian led me straight out onto that plane and said it's okay to have silence around you because like I would have it where I always know if I'm not doing well because I have noise mm. around me. I'll have a podcast on or I'll have a show going, I'll have music blaring. Like I'm not talking about quiet, like loud. And then I realized, hey, I'm not doing so well because I'm not comfortable with the silence again. She's like, mom, it's so loud in here. Oh, you're right. Mm. Right. Okay. Let's walk out into that silence again and let's find our peace again. Mm-hmm. So she's walked, she walks hand in hand with me every which way and reminds me. Oh, what a beautiful guide. I'm so glad. Yeah. Wow. Well, Ashley, thank you so much. So if people want to find you online or follow you, where can they do that? Um, I'm at A Lacane. So at A-L-E-Q-U-E-S-N-E um, on Instagram. That's probably the best place to find me. 
Perfect. We'll be sure to link to you. So my guest today was Ashley Lacane. Her piece was called The Hate I Gave. And this comes from our 2023 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Five Years and Counting. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our 40-plus issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. Here is your writing prompt. I want you to take a few moments to reflect on your inner dialogue since your cancer diagnosis. Have you noticed negative self-talk or limiting beliefs that may be holding you back? Take a moment and write down any of these thoughts. Next, I want you to imagine that you're speaking to a dear friend who has just shared these same thoughts with you. What words of encouragement and support would you offer them? Your prompt is to write a letter to yourself as if you were speaking to this friend, reminding that friend what is worth holding on to in this life. Be compassionate, kind, empathetic, and offer words of hope and love. Remind yourself that you are worthy of love, support, and healing. So what is worth holding on to for you? Eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. And if you want more writing prompts, I have free printables I've created just for you. Head to wildfirecommunity.org free to download the ones you need. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.